Let me read our scripture passage for our sermon this morning. This is from Luke 6, 27 to 42. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? And disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, he, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrites, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Uh, thanks, Harry. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Pastor Rich. I'm one of the pastors here today. Um, if this is your first time visiting us, welcome, uh, welcome to our church. And I'm so glad that you're joining us because, you know, the mission at Risen is to proclaim the truth and love of Christ, right? We want to go broke for Jesus because that's what Jesus did for us. That's our mission. We'd want Jesus not only to come into our hearts, but we also want to change our lives, how we think, how we live. We want to uh, we want Jesus not only to provide for us and protect us and comfort us, we also want Jesus at our church to lead us, to challenge us, to sharpen us and make us into a people that lives for his purposes and his glory. That's the mission. That's the mission we find in scripture. That's the mission at Risen. And um, as one of your pastors, I'm thankful uh, to be a part of this by God's grace. Uh, right now, we're going through the gospel of Luke. And Luke's gospel is all about Jesus, surprise, <laughs> but specifically Jesus as king. Jesus as king, not as our homie, right? um, not as our friend, but specifically, emphatically as our king. Um, I love preaching through a book in the Bible because each passage is built on the passage and passages before it. You know, uh, there's a cohesiveness and, and unified message that compounds and amplifies a message that which ultimately crescendos on the cross. You see, right before this passage, Jesus, uh, if you were with us, uh, he called his 12 disciples to establish a true community from 
all different sorts of backgrounds. And after that, Jesus then preaches this Sermon on the Mount to his disciples. Uh, he's focusing on this counterculture of the kingdom. And, and, and today we're going to focus specifically on a se uh, several ethics of the kingdom. Today, Jesus hones in on three core ethics, and we're going to take a look at them. First, we're going to take a look at the ethic of forgiveness. Then we're going to take a look at the ethic of humility. And then lastly, the ethic of power. So those are the three things that we're going to take a look at. There's much more here. Uh, there is uh, the ethic of generosity, but, you know, um, I'll maybe touch on it, but, you know, uh, maybe for another time. So first, forgiveness. You know, in verses 27 to 37, uh, there are several commands and illustrations, right? Uh, we saw, as Harry read, that has one single theme. From the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus is in no little way uh, establishing a core ethic for his community, and that is the ethic of forgiveness. Why is he doing that, right? He says, love your enemies, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Do good to those who hate you. Uh, to those who strike you, turn the other cheek. To those who take your uh, tunic, give them your cloak, right? There's this ethic of forgiveness. Why is this such a big deal for Jesus? Well, throughout Scripture, God says uh, that the reason why human community has unraveled, the reason why individuals are at war with individuals, families are at war with families, nations are at war with nations, God says the reason why this is happening is because when your relationship with me unravels, all other relationships unravel. When your relationship with me is fractured, then we have to rely our, on, on our own wisdom on our own strength, on our own love, on our own stamina, on our own capacity to endure and persevere. But then God says, if you come to me, then you will know the power and the love of God. You'll have an have a eternal source, uh, an unconditional source, an uh, inexhaustible source of all these good things. You see, what, what God is saying is when your relationship with me is restored, it, it starts to uh, work its way like, like leaven and dough, um, like yeast and dough, uh, to restore your relationships. Um, God says, I'm creating a community in which you witness to the world that, that if you faithfully are restored in a relationship to God, the unraveling can be sort of a redemptively woven back together. And so, so what this means for us, friends, is, is if you believe in Jesus, to be saved by Jesus, it doesn't just mean that your individual sins are forgiven. Um, it means that you're part of a process where God is restoring a new community. You see, he restores you to himself and to the community of the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And out of that fundamental restoration, out of that fundamental turning point, God is desiring to restore you into a true community, right? You see, what, what Jesus is saying here is you can't have me and my community and not have me and my community in your community, you see? You can't have your cake and eat it too. 
But let's flesh this out a little bit because, you know, uh, what, what, what does this look like? You know, it's so easy to talk about a new community of love and forgiveness in theoretical terms, but we know that that's just not that easy, right? How does this sausage get made, right? What does it look like and what does it not look like to have a true community of forgiveness and restoration, right? Jesus says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, this isn't the typical instinct I have when someone offends me, you know? Uh, When someone curses at me, I want to curse them back, (laughs) Uh, if somebody wants to hurt me, I don't want to do good to them, you know? Uh, but the other thing can, we can do, if, if we're not the kind of type to uh, step into that kind of conflict, uh, the other thing that we can do when someone hurts us is, is we can cut them off, right? We give them the cold shoulder. Uh, they are practically dead to us. <laughs> that's, that's what we're saying. I don't know which one's worse, right? Both are bad. Uh, and the other response that we can do is really guised as a mature Christian response. It's a tendency to be silent, right? To keep the peace, uh, to allow uh, someone to walk over you, to allow someone to walk over others in your presence, in your midst. But is that what Jesus is saying here? Is, is Jesus saying, let people walk over you? Is he saying, let, let other people, let people walk over your friends, right? Be silent. Is that what Jesus is saying? I don't think so. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, if a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So to love our enemies cannot mean to never talk to someone about what they're doing and how it's hurting you or how it's hurting others. You see, when Jesus said, love your enemies, he didn't mean to do away with uh, the evaluation and the discernment of right and wrong, right? You see, God's word, if you read the scriptures, it's constantly calling us to be uh, wise, objective, reasonable, and mature so that we may soberly recognize right and wrong and we may know what is the good and righteous thing to do to do you see the the objective judgment of discernment is not what jesus is prohibiting no we need to make accurate and just and mature and reasonable and logical judgments we need this in the world we need this in our families and we need this in the church especially where words like peace and love and unity can be abused to cover up truth and responsibility and accountability This is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is talking about a different kind of judgment. The kind of judgment Jesus is prohibiting is the subjective judgment of vengeance, you see. Let me give an example to contrast uh, these different kinds of judgments, uh, right? Um, For example, Jesus is not saying let's do away with civil courts, We know from Old Testament law that justice was a form of love, not only for the victim, but also to the offender, right? Love corrects. It it seeks growth and transformation. But there's a difference between uh, the judgment of justice 
and vengeance. You see, with justice, the consequence uh, fits the crime. And depending on the case, mercy is always an option. It's always on the table. It's up to the judge, but it's always on the table. So to love your enemies is a clear command uh, to be weary not of an objective form of judgment and wisdom, but weary of the pitfalls and the dangers of vengeance and its effects, its very uh, destructive effects to our own soul and to our families and to society. So Jesus is, is saying that we, um, he's not saying that we need to negate confrontation or remain in dangerous or unethical or, or abusive situations or get walked on without speaking up or uh, pursuing accountability. That is not what Jesus is saying. Um, I have a quote up here by R.C. Sproul, um, a Bible scholar, and he has a great quote on this um, uh, text in Luke chapter 6 about the different kinds of judgments in the scriptures and how we're supposed to interpret this one in light of the bigger picture. This is what R.C. says. He says, The judgment of discernment stands in stark contrast to the judgment of vengeance and also the judgment of naivety. In the latter case, we have a God-given responsibility to protect and preserve life, including our own. We need to be wise in our response to evil, and there are times when loving our enemies, including in such cases as abuse, corruption, or bullying, cannot and does not mean to keep excusing it, allowing it, or taking it. This interpretation is wrong for many reasons. Jesus is not teaching that we should allow evil to have its way. We have a God-given responsibility to make sure that wrong is confronted. This too is love, as long as love is our real motivation. By caring enough to confront, we may help an abuser to recognize their wrong and change. In some situations, it means praying for them at a safe distance. You see, friends, um, one thing I learned when I went to seminary, uh, one, one of my professors always told me that nuance and distinction makes for good theology. Doesn't just make good for, uh, you know, good logic and good discussion, but nuance and distinction. Because I think as Christians, uh, there is, you know, we love cliches, man. We love bumper stickers. We love, you know, uh, signs, right, that say, you know, love is this and love is that. And it's like, is that all it is, you know? But my professor taught me that, you know, uh, reductionistic Christian theology can be really dangerous. And so nuance and distinction makes for good theology, and loving your enemies and doing good to those who hate you, as we've seen in Luke chapter 6, is not a slap-on application for every conflict in our lives. Instead, what Jesus is getting at is a heart disposition, okay? A heart a principle that you work from. You see, uh, you can work from a principle of bitterness and vengeance and dog-eat-dog and the might makes right and the strongest survive, or you can work out of a principle of love and this is so important because you know what happens when when you and i are are wrong what typically happens we can get so hurt and so angry which may be rightfully deserved depending on the offense but what can happen is that we we carry that anger we carry that pain for the rest of our lives. We carry it into every application 
of our conflicts in life. It turns into bitterness and resentment, cynicism, and, and it, it's culminating in this extreme kind of self-preservation, right? We don't ever want to be hurt again. We don't ever want to be deceived again. So the emotions in us, they examine people and relationships uh, no longer with objectivity, right? Imagine a judge. Imagine a judge examining each case with, with the bitterness he had from the previous case, you know what I'm saying? He's like, I already know who you are. No, this is it, right? And it just, imagine, imagine that kind of pattern. Just operating from a place of, of tremendous anger and bitterness. We no longer give anyone the benefit of the doubt. Everything is sort of seen through the lens with, what's this person's angle? You know, what, what am I being taken advantage of here? I think it's okay to think that from time to time, right? You don't want to be naive. But to think this all of the time, or most of the time, um, we begin to generalize and assume motives. We have a hard time trusting people and we give up hope in any kind of redemption. And Jesus is saying, when this happens, you, you've lost a loving spirit. You've lost a generous heart. And, and friends, that is what happens when you hate your enemy. You know? Uh, there's a quote that says, hate is the, 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 the pill that you take the poison pill you take on behalf of your enemy, right? This is the danger. This is Jesus' warning. There's a difference between uh, discernment, the judgment of wisdom, and the judgment of hatred. And this difference just seeps into the heart. It's, it's in the heart, Right? If you ever want to identify, you know, like, why, why are you angry? You know, you know, or why are you being impatient? Why are you being so frustrated? Something in your heart is, is being controlled. So that's why Jesus says, pray for those who abuse you. Because prayer has the ability to melt the hate in the heart. Have you ever tried praying for someone you hate? Not going to happen, right? But that's how transformation starts. It, start, it has to start at the heart level, and it has to start through prayer. You may not be able to understand your enemy. You may not be able to change them. You may not even want to be around them. But Jesus is saying you can still pray for them. Pray for their humility. Pray for their turning. Pray for their conviction. And friends, this is how we can love our enemy. This is how we can do good to those who hate us. This is how we can bless those who curse us. You know, that, 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 uh, that phrase, um, I think I have it here. Maybe not. Um, I put these slides together uh, really late last night. <laughs> it was a long, man, it was a long weekend. Uh, uh, but, um, right, this, 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 this saying here, to one who strikes you on the cheek, Offer the other also from one who takes away, give the cloak, give to everyone who begs from you, from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Right? It seems naive. But it's not so unreasonable when you interpret this in the context of the opposite of hate. 
right, of the opposite of vengeance. Jesus is saying if, if you can't even think about doing this, then you're operating from a principle and heart of hate and vengeance. But if you operate from a place of love and forgiveness, then you can actually imagine how this might work. You see? <clears throat> uh, there's more to this ethic of forgiveness, and, and, and this brings us to our second point, humility. You know, the first point, Jesus is addressing what we ought to do with our anger and our pain and our hatred uh, when we're offended, right? Not, not, not being naive, but also not being vengeful. Uh, but sort of this objective, honest, courageous, uh, mature, uh, prayerful love. But in verses 41 to 42, Jesus sort of, he's, he's kind of doubling down now, you know? Let's say, you know, um, you're not paying attention, right? Maybe, maybe to Jesus in the first half of his Sermon on the Mount, right? Or maybe you're like, oh, I, don't, I don't know, man. That's just, that sounds ridiculous, right? You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've experienced, right? And so Jesus, in verses 41 to 42, he's trying to push through any kind of resistance to what he's just said, and he's trying to dig deeper here. He's going for broke here, and he's, this is his last attempt to create some kind of breakthrough, all right? So this is what he says in verses 41 to 42. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Right? I mean, Jesus is, he's turning it up, right? He's like, you hypocrite. I don't know about you, uh, but uh, when I call Jenna hypocrite or when she calls me hypocrite, oh, that's like, okay, you got my attention. What's going on, right? Uh, Jesus is like, let me get your attention right now, okay? <laughs> you know, uh, you see, if we're ever to pursue any kind of righteous or fair, uh, loving relationship or a, 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 a true community, Jesus is saying, you got to have a clear self-awareness, right? That's what he's saying. You got to take a good look at yourself. You have to have a very thorough understanding of your own heart, of your own thoughts and your own words and your own actions. In other words, he's saying if you want to make correct judgments about the character and the quality of others in your life, you have to first effectively be able to do this for yourself, right? Uh, to put it another way, can you objectively judge how you're doing in those same areas you are judging others in, right? right? Uh, if anyone is going to entrust you with a task, especially at work, you're first tested if you can do that kind of work, right? If you're a champion of, of justice, is your life colored with a lifestyle of justice, Right? Not, not just like words, like are you actually out there in the community doing justice and compassion and mercy? If you're a champion of, of objectivity and feedback and transparency and accountability, I know some of y'all love that stuff, right? But is your own life held accountable to that kind of thoroughness? This is what Jesus is getting at. Right? I mean, imagine if, if, if I were to stand up here and, you know, um, say, you know, everything we do is, is, is governed by Scripture, but there are some things in the Bible that I don't want to talk about. 
right? Some things in the Bible that I don't, I don't bring into and, and allow us to think about so that it can shape us and, 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 and sort of guide us on what kind of church we want to be. That would be hypocritical, right? That, I would have a log in my eye and I'm trying to help you fix this speck. And so what I would need to do is I need to first hold myself uh, accountable to that kind of standard, right? My friend, um, she's a tattoo artist. She said when we, she was first becoming a tattoo artist, uh, she had to tattoo on herself, okay? <laughs> and so, you know, she first did it with henna, and then eventually, you know, she did some small tattoos on places that, you know, weren't really, you know, visible that she didn't want to show. And then eventually, as people saw what she did on herself, she was able to do her first tattoo on someone else, you see? Um, but I think that so many of us, we want to tattoo on others first. <laughs> it's like, hey, no, 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 I don't want to tattoo on myself. Let me, let me just try on you, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? That, that's what we want to do. And in Scripture, there are many words for this. In the book of Proverbs, uh, this person is called uh, a scoffer, a cynic, even a fool. And in today's passage, Jesus uses a different word. He uses the word hypocrite. It's a difficult word, but it's a good word, you know? I feel like whenever, um, I'll bring this back to me and Jen, but uh, whenever we use that word, we don't do it often, but when we do, I feel like, man, we're getting to the heart of the matter, aren't we? <laughs> right? Hypocrisy, right? The injustice of hypocrisy. And once you start to unravel that, right, once you start to get the log out of your own eye, then, then, then there's some hope there. You see, the hypocrite is, is not so much self-reflective as other-reflective. The hypocrite is, is, is uh, much more concerned with the critique of others than the critique of themselves, and, and the hypocritical spirit, that's what Jesus is getting at here. The hypocritical spirit is the log. That's the log, right? A, a deeply entrenched hypocritical spirit. I mean, I know we've all been there, haven't we? When we're deeply entrenched in the hypocritical spirit, like we get so critical, right? We get so defensive. And we're just, man, everything is bothering us. And we just get so angry. Those are the telltale signs of a hypocritical spirit. And what Jesus is saying is if you want to love your neighbor, if you want to be an effective, uh, responsible human being in your family and in society, if you want to be part of a true community, the first thing is first, you got to haul away the lumber in your own yard before you go after branches in your neighbor's yard. That's what he's saying. And friends, what this means is that there has to be this deep humility in our hearts. there is a problem. We seem to live in a world that just doesn't seem to produce this kind of uh, humility, uh, this kind of, on the one hand, honest and objectivity, and the other hand, forgiveness and love. There's something in the water, uh, something in the air. There's this force field in the world that almost makes it impossible for uh, a true community where genuine objectivity and love is possible. But in our passage today, Jesus says, power is coming from me. This brings us to the last point, the power. Now there is um, an irony in these verses I'm about to read here. 
uh, verses uh, 32 to 35 here, um, I wanna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that there's an irony. And while I read it, I want you to try to catch the irony, okay? All right? Because um, I remember sometimes, you know, a pastor would read a text, and then he would be like, did you catch it? I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Right? So I'm going to give you a heads up. There's an irony here. See if you can catch it. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Now, I'm going to pause here and just say, you know, I don't mention the word sin or sinners that much in, you know, my sermons. But look, this is Jesus, okay? It's not me. <laughs> so don't get mad at me. This is Jesus using that word, all right? Uh, and then he says, don't be like the sinners. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Now, here is the irony. Jesus seems to be talking about sinners as uh, people that the disciples shouldn't emulate, right? Like, there are sinners over there. Don't be like them. And then in the same breath, in the last verse, what does he say? He says, he says love your enemies, do good and lend, expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Did you get that? He's saying God will be kind to you even though you are ungrateful and evil. You see? Now, I can only imagine here, right? Jesus is given a sermon, and the disciples don't know that he's actually talking about them, Right? Right? They're thinking, oh, Jesus is talking about the Romans, those sinners, those oppressive, right, uh, that oppressive government. Um, you know, Jesus is saying, uh, you know, oh, don't be like them. And I'm sure the disciples probably did a double take. Wait, Jesus, you, you didn't mean to call us ungrateful and evil, right? And Jesus is probably saying, no, 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 you heard me correctly, right? I'm talking about you. You guys are ungrateful and evil. <laughs> uh, this is the first lesson I'm trying to teach you. What is Jesus doing here? You know, when I was a pastoral intern, I remember being in the office of my pastor and we're having our uh, weekly one-on-one -on -one and sort of this mentorship. And I remember him uh, talking to me how pastors can be so awkward at times and lack relational skills and the ability to interact with people. And I'm sitting there in his office like, I, seriously, man, those pastors, they're terrible. And then he says, hey, by the way, I want you to read this. And he hands me a book, and, it, and I look at it, and the title is How to Win Friends <laughs> and Influence People. It's like, man, this guy's talking about me. <laughs> right? That's what's happening here with the disciples, you see. Jesus says, I'm talking about you, man. <laughs> You're also uh, proud. You're also selfish. You're also power-grabbing and greedy and lustful and self-righteous and hypocritical. You see, the disciples needed to redefine their understanding of sin. Because typically, what you and I do when we think about sin, we think about a certain set of rules, don't we? And if we keep those rules, we're good, right? If I don't, you know, 
abuse my family, if I don't uh, struggle with addiction, if I don't, you know, sleep around, then I'm not sinning. And alongside this set, everyone has their own other sort of subjective set of rules, depending on what you prefer. And if you're a Christian, you go to church regularly, you know, maybe you serve and you give and this can puff, puff you up and you feel like you've reached a higher moral plane than others. But what Jesus is saying is that a lot of what's happening on the outside may seem appropriate, but still in our heart is harboring jealousy and pride and uh, greed and anger and bitterness. And this is why Jesus says, this is evil. Worshiping me with your lips and your heart being so entrenched in yourself is wicked. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is showing us all that we need to go deeper. You see, the goal, what Jesus is saying, the, by, saying by talking about sin and, and, then, and then saying that it's also you, the disciples, what Jesus is saying is the goal is not to see who can get the right rules or the right arguments or philosophy. What Jesus is saying is everyone falls short. That's what he's saying. Everyone fails. And Jesus is saying through forgiveness and through mercy, you can be still children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. And friends, there it is in the same breath, in the same sentence, we are evil, we are ungrateful, we are hypocritical, and yet we are God's beloved children. God still loves us. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, no matter what will happen in the future, by the death of Jesus, for your sins, you have been forgiven. And you have brought, been brought into a true community, into the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And friends, you can sit here right now, we can sit here in the presence of God. Not because we are holy, not because we are perfect or good and righteous and loving, but because Jesus is holy. Because Jesus is righteous and loving and forgiving and good. Friends, God's goodness is not determined by anything we do. No, God's goodness, his grace and love is determined purely by the greatest human being who has ever walked this earth. And if you put your trust in him, you have access to that goodness. Friends, that is the gospel. It's scandalous, isn't it? What other religion, what other worldview, what other philosophy, what other human being, what other community will say that you are prone to evil, you are ungrateful, but my unexhausting love and forgiveness is for you. 
You know, friends, to be saved by Jesus means that you are already in a true community, in a relationship with Jesus. And so you are in the most objective, honest relationship you could ever be in. He sees everything. But at the same time, you are in the most loving and forgiving and merciful and gracious and compassionate and encouraging and inspiring relationship you could ever be in. Because despite our weaknesses and our brokenness and our failings, God says, power is coming from me. Power is coming from the cross. You know, in the world, we're always looking for power. But it's the wrong kind of power. Friends, look to the cross. And you're going to see the right kind of power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you And frankly, we come out of our week and into a holy place. And it seems a little bit foreign. We're singing songs. We're reading from an ancient text. We're talking about morality and ethics. Um, In a world where we can't agree what is right and wrong, And yet, there is something significant happening here. You are here. You are dwelling here. Where two and three are gathered, you say, I am with you. Where you are faithfully proclaimed in your truth and in your grace, you say, I am with you. So, Father, would you make this a reality to every single one of us in our heart? Would you make what we've listened to take fruition in our hearts and in our lives and in this community. Help us in our identity to be grounded in not what we've done, what we can do, but in what you've done and what you can do in us. Father, would you give us forgiveness, humility, and power from the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.